You can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Last week we did sort of an introduction to this new series in Romans that we're calling Rags to Righteous, and today we're going to really be digging in the text itself. Now as you're turning to Romans chapter 1, let me ask you a question. If someone were to come up to you and ask you who you are, what would you say to that person? In other words, how would you identify yourself to other people? And of course, that depends upon the context, right? If, if, a, if you're a guest and you saw me wandering out in the, the lobby looking lost, looking for someone to talk to you, and you said, who are you? I would say, well, I'm one of the pastors here. Or if I was visiting with Susan's family up in Tennessee and I'm at a party where no one knows me, and they say, who are you? And of course, I would say, I'm Susan's husband. Who do you think I am, right? If I'm at the... Warner soccer fields and our kids are playing soccer and the parents are trying to awkwardly strike up conversation. You've been there, right? And who are you? Well, I, I'm Jack's dad or I'm Virginia's dad or I'm Grace's dad or I'm, I'm Maggie's dad. See, it all depends upon the context in terms of how we would identify ourselves to other people. But here's a different question. And I think this is actually a much more important question because it's the, it's the first question we need to ask. How do you identify yourself to yourself. How, how would you describe in just the quiet of your soul who you are? How do you think about yourself, your self-identity? See, the way we think about ourselves, that sets a trajectory, doesn't it? That sets a priority. It makes a claim on, on who we kind of see ourselves being. If you think your fundamental identity as an entrepreneur, boy, that will that will require a lot of investment in time if that's your primary driver in life. If you're a parent, if you think your primary identity as a parent, that'll set a trajectory. Or if your primary identity is as a, as a husband or wife or not having a husband or not having a wife, if that's, how, if that's how you have your identity sort of fixed, then that's gonna also set a trajectory and priorities for a life. It'll make a claim. And it will decide your decision-making priorities. See, who we think of ourselves is really important, and it's really important to the Apostle Paul. Because as he takes us into the depths of this letter, before he does anything else, he wants to clarify who he is and who he thinks of himself as. And that's going to be very important for us because, one, it's going to really direct us in terms of how we're to read Romans and learn from it. Now, it's also going to be very important for us as to how we ground ourselves in our own identity. And so I'm going to invite you, if you can, and you're willing and able to stand as we read God's Word this morning. We're just going to look at the first seven verses as we tackle this issue of identity. Hear the Word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray one more time. 
Lord, as we always do at this point in our services, we're asking for your help. Lord, we are, this is your holy word. It's been breathed out by you. And Lord, we do not want this word to fall flat. We don't want it to drop off the tip of this pulpit. We don't want it to be words to the wind. Lord, we're praying that you would have your way in our hearts and souls this morning through your word. Lord, may your word find a home in our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would do this now by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take your seats. Three points this morning, short and sweet. Bought, called, and set apart. Those are our three things we're going to run after this morning. And let's just dive right into this idea of bought. After Paul states his name, which, by the way, was the customary way to begin letters in the ancient world, a lot of times we put our names at the end, right, of the letter or the email or or the text or what have you. In the ancient world, you put your name up front. And the very first thing, as soon as Paul just identifies himself according to his name so they know who he he is, who's who's writing them, the very first self-identifier out of his mouth is this word, servant. It's the very first thing. And whatever else Paul is going to say about himself in this letter, and he's going to say quite a lot, and he's going to say quite a lot about us, Paul is making it very clear that the one thing that is foundationally true about him and his identity, the thing that's at the very heart of who Paul thinks of himself to be, is that he is a doulos, literally slave. Now, the ESV translates the word servant, and the reason it does that is so that we won't confuse ancient slavery to 18th and 19th century chattel slavery here in the United States, where people were often stolen and separated from their families, and it was all based upon this ethnic racial code that wasn't the, the, the heart of ancient slavery. Ancient slavery oftentimes was a way to advance yourself. In fact, In ancient slavery, slaves could oftentimes buy their freedom. But see, that could take years. It could take decades. It could take a lifetime and still not be able to get to that place. So the only, in the ancient world, the only foolproof, guaranteed way of securing your freedom is if someone purchased it for you as a gift. Now, one of my favorite classic movies, uh, 1959, the Oscar winner, Ben-Hur, where Charlton Heston, of course, played Judah Ben-Hur, a wealthy Jewish businessman who is betrayed by his best friend, who's a Roman centurion, Masala. And here, Ben-Hur is falsely accused, and he's arrested and stripped of everything he has, and he's made a slave, and to be rowing in the galley ship of this slave for, in this slave ship for years. Well, while he's imprisoned there, the ship comes under attack and begins to sink. And Judah is able to free himself and escape. But before letting the ship go down, he decides he's going to save the Roman commander, who then adopts Judah as his own when they get rescued back to land and then purchases his freedom for him. Now, what a cool movie. And if it's spoiler alert, we're 50 years too late, right? He comes back to exact revenge on Masala and that very famous chariot race, right? But the whole point is that he was lost, but then he was purchased, and then he was freed. In In a word, he was bought. And that's the very idea that we have here. 
See, the reason I think Paul chose this self-identifier of being a doulos or a slave is that he wants us to understand that he, now listen, is a bought man. At one time, Paul says, is going to go on to tell us, I was a slave to sin. Sin was my master. There was nothing I could do to free myself. No amount of money was going to redeem Paul or free Paul. So in this helpless condition, in his totally needy place, what Paul is telling us is that Jesus Christ bought him. He redeemed him. And that is slavery language, what we, what we have here, is that Paul once was enchained and enslaved to sin, but now Jesus has freed him through his own blood. And Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought, there's the word, with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Paul is saying, now I have a new master. I belong to Jesus. My identity is fundamentally, now it's many things, but it's fundamentally before it's anything else, is that I belong to him. And let's be honest, this sort of language is antithetical culturally to everything we are told about identity. There's a book I recently completed by Carl Truman, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and he's a Christian theologian and kind of an apologist. And obviously he notes this, that our cultural narrative today is that because there is no authority beyond the self, in other words, you are your highest authority, then identity is a fluid construct, right? You are free, quote-unquote, to make of yourself whatever you want to be. There is no authority beyond your personal sphere. We sang this morning about, Lord, let not our feelings shape us. Well, the cultural mantra is, let your feelings shape you by all means. Follow your heart. Follow your desires. Create your own identity. And, of course, we see this permeate into all areas of life, right? Gender sexuality, our online personas, who we want to be. We're constantly in this ever, never-ending struggle to project that, to identify ourselves. And, you know, it sounds freeing on one hand, just be yourself. But let's be honest, that is such a tyranny, isn't it? It is such a tyranny. It's a tyranny when we're enslaved to having to constantly recreate our identity to get someone's approval or to appear in a certain way for a particular group. And what Paul wants us to know, church, as we dive into this series in Romans, is that the gospel totally turns that upside down. If you are a believer, please hear this. If you are a believer trusting in Jesus Christ, your foundational identity, your most important identity is now in Christ. Jesus is at the center of your life. He is your Lord He is your master. He is your king. And make no mistake, this is not an oppressive tyranny. Oh, no. It's something much, much more personal and relational. Listen to how the Heidelberg Catechism talks about the nature of our bought relationship with Jesus. Listen to this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong. 
body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way, now listen to this, Christian, that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. What an eternal blessing to be bought by God, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, he has not only bought me out, but listen, I do not want anything else. I do not want anybody else to be my master. Nobody else is my master. I have given myself to him. He, now this is, I love this language, he has won me. He has captivated me. I'm lost in him. Christian, let me just ask you something. What might change in your life, and I mean immediately, ASAP, this morning, right where you're sitting, what might change in your life if you began to recognize that you don't belong to yourself, but you belong to him, that you are his treasured possession? You know, John MacArthur always says, don't mix your metaphors, preachers, but I'm about to mix one, right? Jesus purchased us in order to set us free to be his sons and daughters. What would change, let me just again ask you this, if you were convinced that your identity is not based upon your socioeconomic status, that your identity is not based upon whether you're a parent or not, or whether you're married or not, or what kind of marriage you have or don't have, what would change in your life if you were convinced that your primary foundational identity is not in how much money you make, what job you have, what you accomplish in this life, What's going to happen at the workplace? What's going to happen at home? What would change? How would you change? How would God desire to shape your heart if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, not just mentally, intellectually, but in your heart and in your soul that you belong to Jesus? You belong to Jesus because not what you've done for him. Oh, that's not the gospel. The gospel is because of what he has done for you. And so Paul wants, if he doesn't say anything else here, he wants us to know, I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus, and it's true for you, Christian. Pray that God would open your eyes to the reality of it. Second thing Paul says about himself and us is that he is called. Now look back at the text. Paul identifies himself as one who is called to be an apostle. Now the word apostle in the Greek, it literally means sent one or messenger. So in the New Testament, we see apostle used in two different ways. Sometimes it's apostle, lowercase a. That just means simply messenger or someone who carries a message. Other times, though, we see apostle, capital A. And that's to denote the office of apostle. Those who were with Jesus were commissioned by Jesus and who were now authorities in the church. And Paul is using the word apostle in that latter sense, in terms of the office. You see, you didn't just assign yourself to be a prophet, I mean, or a, to be an apostle. It's not like you say, well, today I think I'll be an apostle. That's not how that worked. See, the role of apostle, only Jesus could make a man an apostle. And it was a special office and authority given to an original group of 12, minus Judas, adding Matthias, and then Paul, and maybe one or two others. It was a special office and authority given 
to those who knew Jesus were commissioned by him to lead his church. They were to be witnesses of the resurrection. They, they were given the power to do signs and wonders, and they were sent by Christ, listen to this, to act as his agents. It was their job to exercise the authority of Christ himself, which meant the apostleship, that, that was unique. That was limited to a specific time and to a specific place. And so what, why is Paul mentioning that here? He wants to make clear that when he is writing and speaking to us, Four Oaks, in this book of Romans, he's not speaking and writing as a spiritual advisor. He's not speaking and writing as someone who is just dispensing tarot cards or reading palms, or if you were a child of the 80s, one of those little eight balls, right, that you shook up and said, am I going to get a date this Friday night? And it came back and said, no, you're too ugly for that, right? It's, 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 it's not what's happening here, right? This is, Paul's not offering tips or suggestions. Paul, as an apostle, is exercising the authority of Christ himself. And I think Paul wants to mention this right at the start, not to wield it over them, not to put them under his thumb. I mean, he's going to say some some sharp things, no doubt, but I think it's much more pastoral than that. You see, for the church in Rome, and we talked about this last week, there were many voices in their life. Just like there are many voices in our lives speaking into our orbit, there were many voices in their life. There was much division. There was much confusion. And Paul, from a pastor's heart, wants to tell them, I've been commissioned by Christ, which means this, I'm not here to lord it over you, but I'm here to give you something sure and certain. I'm here to give you the very words of Christ that you can trust, that you can follow, that you can obey, that you know where you can plant your flag. This is not the opinion of men, Paul is saying, this is the word of Jesus Christ himself to you. Now, how does this relate to us right now? Because we're not called to be apostles, capital A, right? Well, we have to remember the way we acknowledge the apostleship of, of Paul in this letter, for example, is knowing, guys, there are so many voices vying for your attention. There's so many voices in your life that are speaking with some degree of authority. You feel them internally, you perceive them externally, and fundamentally, every one of us has to come to the place of, of settling on that decision, who am I going to trust? I'm going to trust someone, right? I'm going to trust the media. I'm going to trust the politicians. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to trust my authority figures. And ultimately, what we are going to find all of those things in different ways and times are going to disappoint us. But Paul is reminding the one thing that does not disappoint is Jesus. That he has given us his word commissioned by Christ and it endures for us in the Bible. Now guys, this is, there is a movement underfoot and let me just say a couple things about this. Which seeks to make the words of Jesus in the New Testament primary over and above the words of people like Peter and Paul. And the thinking that goes after all, and this is, there's a word for this, it's called red letter Christianity. So in some of your Bibles, the, the words of Jesus are in red. And there is this thought, well, you know, if we really want to get to the heart of God because we worship Jesus, we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus, then we need to pay particular attention to those words of Jesus 
and Paul and Peter, eh, I mean, they're, they're okay, right? But we really need to set our course by the Gospels. Now, here is the problem with that. The problem with that, who taught Paul? Who commissioned Paul? Who appeared to Paul? Who sent Paul out? Who told Paul to preach the gospel? Well, of course, the answer is Jesus. And what we find in that sort of thinking that wants to separate the person of Jesus from the Bible is, it, it, I don't think it's any more complicated than this. We, we, we love what Jesus says about loving your neighbor. We don't love what Paul says about sexuality. We love what Jesus says about the Good Samaritan, but we don't like what Paul has to say about gender. We, we love what Jesus says about this. We don't like what Paul says about roles in men and women. And so this is sort of an end around run to get apart from or behind the, or around the biblical text. And let me tell you why this is so important for us to understand right here at the onset of this series. One, it's important on a theological level because we're going to get to some stuff in Romans 1 and 2 where Paul speaks about all these things, sexuality, gender, worship, materialism. And we need to know that when Paul is writing and speaking, he is writing and speaking on behalf of Christ. You can't separate those two. But church, this is so important on a personal level, right? It's, a, it's important on a personal level to remind ourselves, even if we know it intellectually, that we are not an authority unto ourselves. We belong to someone we, someone has come and died for us and claimed us as his own, not, not for a, a, a tyrannical sort of existence, because, but because he loves us and cares for us, giving us our heart's truest desire, which is him. And so this past week, I sent out an email to, to folks in the church, and it's a resource list of all the things that I would suggest you look at as we study this book of Romans together over the next 18 to 24 months. And so it was a list of audio resources, preaching series, Bible studies, commentaries. If you did not get that, stop by the hub on the way out today and you can, we'll, we'll, we'll get you a list of those resources. But why do we do that? Because guys, we want you to know you can't know Christ apart from his word. And the one thing we endeavor to do is we want to be people of God who are quick to rearrange the furniture in our hearts when it means that we receive his holy word. It is, church, this is life. This is the good stuff. This is what we can count on 100% of the time. Because first of all, we are bought. Secondly, we are um, set apart, or actually, secondly, we are, first we are bought, then we are called, and then finally, yes, we are set apart. Let's look at this third point in our last little time bit, time of, uh, bit here together. Set apart, and guys, let me just say this, I'm particularly helped by Martin Lloyd-Jones, who has a lot of astute observations on this phrase. One of the things that you've heard me say this before, I love preparing sermons every week because I feel like I'm learning right along with you. And I learned a ton this week from Lloyd-Jones in his study of this particular passage. Now, we know that Paul was a Pharisee. 
And we know that in his former life, that's what he was. The Greek word for Pharisee, now this is interesting, is actually the word to set apart or to be distinct. And that's what the Pharisees did. They set themselves apart from everyone else because they wanted to maintain a position of holiness or separateness or distinctness. So they dressed differently. They, they walked differently. They ate differently. They had different ceremonial purification rites. They, they wouldn't dare intersect with or interact with the hoi polloi. They would not eat with the tax collectors and sinners because they were holy and they were setting themselves apart. Now that word for set apart, that means Pharisee, it's the exact same word that Paul uses here. It's a form of the same word, and I think that's significant. Because it seems as if what Paul is saying here, it's a play on words. And I think this is amazing. He's insinuating, you know, I once was a Pharisee. I set myself apart. I set myself apart to do something, anything, to gain acceptance and approval and righteousness before God. But that's not the gospel. Here's what the gospel is. Not that we set ourselves apart. Paul says, no, no, no. Jesus sets us apart. See, Jesus saves us. Jesus cleanses us. And now Paul can say by virtue of his conversion, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I didn't save myself by setting myself apart, but God saved me and set me apart by the gospel. And this is what he talk, refers to, I think, in Galatians chapter 1. Now listen to this. And I was advancing in Judaism, Paul says, Beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now, here it is. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That phrase, before I was born, it literally means to set apart in my mother's womb. And I think Paul is echoing here what we see in the life of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Did, did Jesus do that once he found out how obedient Paul was going to be? Did Jesus sort of take a wait-and-see stance? And Is Paul going to be faithful? Is he going to figure this out on his own? Is, is Paul going to make a turn? Well, just as soon as he does, we're going to move right in with blessing and right in with grace, and we're going to set him apart. He's going to preach the gospel. Guys, that's not what happened. See, for Paul, both his calling as a Christian and his calling as an apostle happened exactly simultaneously the same day on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And here is the significance of this. Paul did not wake up that morning and said, today's the day I'm going to stop being a murderer. Today's the day I'm going to stop being a self-righteous Pharisee. Today's the day I'm going to weigh out the pros and the cons, and I'm going to decide once and for all about this Jesus person. I'm going to try to figure this out. Guys, that's not how it happened. That's not how conversion happened. That's not how your conversion happened. Conversion happens 
On that road to Damascus, when Jesus appears and he strikes down Paul and he blinds him and he reveals himself to him, he gives him instructions, he commissioned him, he saved him. And if you are a Christian, that's how you became a Christian as well. If you profess Christ, whether you know it or not, Paul's salvation is a picture of our own salvation, that we were set apart. Christian, please know, Jesus did not stand at the door and knock, 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 right? And just desperately waiting for you to let him in. Jesus came and he kicked down the door. Jesus came and freed you. And this was Jesus' plan all along. Listen to Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Set apart for the gospel of God. And I think this is so cool. Paul was set aside by the gospel, listen, for the gospel. Look at verse 5. In order to bring about the obedience of faith. Do you understand the significance of what Paul means when he says that you and I are set apart? This was not a haphazard plan by God. This was, this was not about us going halfway down the road and Jesus figuring out if we were worthy enough or not to be called. This was not like Jesus gives 50% and we give 50%. Paul's saying, no, no, that's not how it works. How it works is that before the foundation of the world, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. See, Paul is telling us very clearly, God had a sovereign, divine plan. And it was to bring about my obedience to the faith. And now because he's brought about my obedience, I am endeavoring, striving, yearning to bring about your obedience to the faith as well. See, we th- see things so literally in such, a, such, such short-term bits of time. And you may have walked in here this morning and just really obtuse to spiritual realities or Jesus or any of the claims that he makes upon your life. But all along, God has been sovereignly working and planning before you were in the womb that you would be here this day and this time to hear the testimony of this man, the Apostle Paul, tell you that there is something else in this life. It's more than what you can see, taste, touch, Put, feel, put your hands on. It's not about the identity you create for yourself. It's not about the, living your best life now. It's all about Jesus Christ dying on a cross, setting you apart, purchasing you, redeeming you by his blood. And now Paul says, wake up, realize, and walk in that. Saint, let me just say this as we wind this down. God loves you with an everlasting love. He's bought you, he's called you, he's set you apart. And it tells us in this passage that this was promised in the Old Testament scriptures. It it, it was a son of David who was proven to be the son of God, that is Jesus Christ. How do we know this? How do we know all this guarantee is true and right? It's not a fairy tale. Because God raised him from the dead. 
See, the guarantee of these promises is the resurrection of Jesus himself. And he who bought, called, and set you apart, Christian, will surely raise you as well. Let us pray that this season, that God would align our hearts to our true identity in him. Let's pray.